morning, church. Good to see you again. If you might remember me from earlier. Alexi offering, that's me, Zach. Honestly, it's so good to be with you guys and be in this season and sort of hold the, the deep things of the Lord and sacrifice and surrender, but also experience the joy of the Lord and the season and the, the delight of the Christmas season. Uh, that's how I'm feeling today. Grateful for you. Thank you for leaning in today. Before we jump into the message, I have a few dates for us to kind of sear into our minds, okay? Um, as you saw, that was a promo for December 24th, our Christmas Eve service. That's going to be a candlelight service. It's going to be beautiful. And so that's at 1.30, 3 o'clock and 4.30 at the Austin campus. It's going to be a great experience. And if you can, do your best to, uh, to uh, sign and reserve your seat. You can do that by going to onechapel.com, go to Next Steps or the QR code and save your seat. But uh, pro tip, if you can't do that, we'll still have seats. It's okay, but try to reserve them. And then on the next day is Christmas Day, and so we're gonna be doing an online service for Christmas Day. So no in-person in service, okay? Just make note of that. Um, enjoy it with your family, it's gonna be online. And then on January, January 1st, is gonna be a Sabbath Sunday. So on the first day of 2023, it's, there's going to be, it's a Sabbath Sunday. It's something that we practice, practice a few times a year. There's no online service and there's no in-person service as, you know, in a corporate way. But I want to encourage you, take communion as a family. You know, like do, do what you need to do to have uh, just a communion service or worship service if you want. Just rest and delight in the Lord. And uh, this also keeps our, our church and our team sort of having a healthy rhythm. And then on January 8th, is our Welcome Back Sunday. And so it's gonna be really fun. I just would love for us, to, it's kind of a longer break if you think about it. So I really love for us to put a pin on the calendar and let's come back together and hit the ground running in 2023 on January 28th. And not to mention, we're gonna have, all the campuses are doing something kind of fun. And so this year we're gonna be giving away a free Tesla. And so that's, yeah. So you should come, I think. That's where the legacy money is going. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, but come, we're gonna do something fun. Maybe it's a chili cook-off or something like that. In a Tesla, no. Um, yeah, so those are some dates. Just keep note of that, because this is like a funky, it's easy to get out of rhythm just this time of year. So just make note of that, put it in your calendar. So today, for our message, as, as we have been experiencing today's Legacy Sunday, and we're approaching Christmas, and this time of year is all about really giving, right? And, you know, Thanksgiving, obviously, is Thanksgiving. Christmas is really about giving. And so I want to pose a question as we jump in here. I want to pose a question for you guys to think about. So God is creator of the universe, correct? Yes. He owns all things. When he speaks, there is life and value. Right? Everything that we have belongs to Him. Sometimes, however, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around giving back to someone who has everything. It's like that dad who just has every toy and tool that you can imagine. It's so hard to buy for them. But times like infinity. Maybe you think that. Um, the, thing, the, the question I want to ask us, and sort of like traverse here, is what can we give God? What can I give God? It's kind of like simple, but I, I want to ask just this question. You know, so often I think uh, there's times, whether we're conscious of it or not, I think there are times it's like, well, 
how much should I really give? And like, what does that even look like? And what should it entail? And maybe sometimes your response is like, honestly, I don't really have anything to give. I don't have that much to give right now. But the thing is, and what I want to kind of like talk about and unpackage today is it's not always about our money. I want us to like, yes, it's Legacy Sunday, but I want us to like step beyond that. All right, that membrane of the natural, if you will, and go into something more spiritual. It's not always about money, especially when we're talking about God and money, because the Bible says that, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> it's poetic language that he owns everything and he's created all things. And so he, does he need anything really in, in the natural? Does he need anything? No, he doesn't. But God knows what you need and he knows what I need. And the paradox is that what we need is to give. We're built to give, actually. It's who we are. Why, why do, do, does God know that we need to give? I think in many ways it's because giving shapes us and forms us into who we really are. How many of you guys know that you have been made in the image of God? You are meant to be a reflection of the light of heaven. You're, you're called to carry the condition of the giving Father himself. And so when we give, it transforms us into our original design before the, the, the fall and all the cancer of sin. It shapes us into the image of God. And John 3, 16, and let this passage never grow old. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when we give, we become more like God. And so maybe you're thinking, okay, I, okay, I get that, but I still, I don't know. I still don't think, honestly, I don't have anything to give. <laughs> I don't really know. Like maybe you're like, yeah, I think I do, but maybe there's a, a disconnect between the way we work or our heart. If you think, if we think that we don't have anything to give, I just want to tell you that it's a lie. It's a lie. You sit on the throne of lies. Just <laughs> we just saw Elf as a family. So great. That's from a movie. It's just saying. Um, but I want us to be broken of that lie. I want us to like, just allow that to be like, just cleansed of us. Like, I don't have anything to give. I just don't have enough. Like, that lie of not having enough, whether it's resources or anything other, time or energy, I think it's a lie that God wants to rid us today and help us to be empowered by the truth. So, you know, one of the things that I do, that I just really cherish about the legacy offering is, and that it happens around this time of year, is that it allows us to give to Jesus first before we give and receive gifts from each other and from our family, right? You know, it's kind of funny. I have a really complex relationship with, with the tradition of Christmas. So don't judge me, okay? But like, I, I just, I sometimes have wrestled with like the consumerism that goes with it and like the brainwashing of like the same songs for the last like 50 years and just like things like that. And so, and there's, there's, don't, don't judge me too hard. There is a part of it that I am still charmed by. Like I do love Christmas, but there are certain kind of things that I wrestle with. It's like, it's supposed to be Christmas, but then it all becomes about me, right? It all becomes about like getting or materialism. Like it's, there's something ironic about it being supposed to be like Jesus's birthday, but like we're the, one who, we're the ones who get all the gifts, right? Have you ever thought about it? But as Christians, the point of Christmas is to remember, the, the point of like 
giving and receiving gifts is to remember the greatest gift that we've ever received. It's that we've received Jesus. And so as a reminder about the legacy offering, like if you, if you don't have the means or the, the, the timing or the, the money to give today, just be freed of any guilt, okay? Just be freed of it right now. Be freed of any, any shame because maybe you would if you could. Maybe you will in the future. Just that's okay. <clears throat> but there are some things, and what, this is the point here, there are some things that we can give to Jesus on his birthday that go beyond this. And I believe that you actually carry right in your person, right in your life and story. And it's found in the story of the Magi. Everyone say Magi. Magi. And uh, also known as the wise men. And so this is found in Matthew's gospel. And if you've read it recently, maybe I'm sure you have um, in your life, but maybe not. But Matthew seems to love the wise men. Like he just talks about the wise men a lot. If you think about it, it's like, especially in contrast, like he gives all these details and this whole like subplot about the Magi traveling, but like just a few little details about the actual birth of Jesus. I find that fascinating. It's just like, hmm, why is that? And so even though Matthew seems to highlight this sub story of the Magi at the beginning of the gospel, it's still sort of cloaked with a lot of mystery. I don't know if anyone's a, like an expert on, on like the Magi, right? It's like, what are the Magi? What is going on with the, the wise men? And are there three of them? Because that's, that's what we're told, right? There's three of them. There's not three. There's probably way more, by the way. Um, just, I don't know. We've been like taught that there's only three, that there's probably a whole school of them. Who knew that? Yeah, a few. And so not to burst your bubble there, but... <laughs> And then another interesting detail about the Magi from the, some of the scholarship that I've been um, thumbing through is that Jesus was probably not a baby when that happened. He was probably a toddler when the Magi arrived, just based on the timing, I think. So just picture like Jesus, the size of my son Judah, like running around, like throwing myrrh back at like the Magi. <laughs> no, he wouldn't do that. Or maybe he would, I don't know. He <laughs> loved Jesus. This, but yeah, just picture like a toddler and not, you know, it's so... That's kind of an interesting thing. And sorry if that messed up your Christmas figurine set, if that's your idea. You're going to now, I should start a business just like making toddler Jesus. Like I think I'd make a lot of, you know, maybe not. Anyway, so these wise men were astronomers, um, likely very brilliant men of education in science. Uh, they studied the stars. This is what they kind of specialized in. And some scholars have suggested that they're astrologers as well. Okay, so we're kind of, dipping into like sort of sorcery and practically like pagan priests, perhaps. Other theories is that they are priests of Zoroastrianism, which is like the oldest or one of the oldest um, religions, um, one God religions. And so nonetheless, they were, they were learned or at least very observant of the scripture and they were thoughtful about the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible. And so they heard and, and read about the prophecies about the Messiah, and so they sent out to find the king. Just picture that, right? To find the Messiah. And they likely, some other details, they likely traveled, guess how long? Or how far? Over a thousand miles, seeking after this unnamed baby king, following a star. And so this is where we pick things up in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. 
And this is in the NLT. And it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So this is, in the, this is like the epicenter of Israel. They're going and trying to find this king. You would think he would be there. Asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so naturally, they go to Jerusalem. This is where the temple was. This is where you think this is the capital. And so you go there, and then they end up finding this puppet king with awesome character, Herod. Just a terrible dude, actually. And they were like, we're looking for the Messiah. And, and as, you, as you probably know the story, he responds with a lot of rage and, and jealousy and insecurity. And he sets out to kill the child Jesus, right? Pick things up in chapter, chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 9, and it says this. The wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the, saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So some symbology here with, with gold. Many of us might know this, but if you don't, here's some interesting facts about this. So gold was a gift that you would give a king. And then incense was something that you burned uh, for a deity. This, this is the frankincense. It's uh, incense you burn to a deity or to a god. And then myrrh is a burial spice. And so little did they know they're being profoundly prophetic. His royalty, the royalty of Jesus, his deity, his humanity were all foretold in the gifts that Jesus received. And so maybe you're still like, okay, okay, here's all these things. I still don't really know what to give. I don't have any myrrh, Zach. What are you trying to ask me to do? I don't have any, definitely don't have any gold. But maybe you do. That'd be awesome. Um, but that's not really the point. I think what, what we're seeing here is there is this natural kind of like sacrifice of here's that which is valuable to me. And that lo and behold, it was prophetic about like the, the identity of Christ and his story. But there's also these, these other things that sort of touched into eternity that, as I mentioned, like, like went through the membrane of like the natural went right into something that echoes into eternity. And this, my friends, is the invitation for us today and for our lives. And so I want to talk about a few things that, that fit that category, okay? Coming from the text that we just read, and I want to highlight three of them today, okay? You with me? Yeah. Let's do it. Number one is we can give God our hope. We can give God our hope. Verse two, we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, I was kind of like, I've been chewing on this, I just find that this is a little bit of a picture, I think, from the Father in this story. This, it's a metaphor. It's a microcosm. Like when everything is dark, what are we seeing? Like when, it, when night falls, what do we see? Right? Do we see darkness and just kind of like be raptured by the darkness or do we see light? Do we see the darkness or do we see the star? Do we see hopelessness or do we see hope? Could God be telling us something with this as he 
as he's inviting us to see the light in the darkness. And man, it's dark in this generation, but there is a light. Will we follow him? In John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I was um, a student pastor before I was a campus pastor, and I was uh, leading um, a student ministry and on the teaching team at a church in Yakima, Washington. And I had took, took that position and got, like, are you haul up there? And I picked up Rachel from, uh, from the airport with Judah, and I was so excited to see them. And Judah was wearing a shirt that said Big Brother. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I realized that Rachel was pregnant. And that was like a nice, beautiful like pop to the beginning of our position there. But night fell, so to speak, and COVID was, you know, just the pandemic was spilling out. I remember like Rachel in bed and she was like, giving me updates on Twitter about China. I was like, yeah, yeah, China's crazy. Like, it's not gonna happen. And then it just came over here. And as you guys remember, and you all have your own story, but Washington was like exceptionally terrible. <laughs> um, if I could just be so bold and say, because there was a lot of sickness coming out of Seattle and there was a lot of fear and the government was, was not helping, you know, in Washington. And so I remember, walking into a grocery store, everyone's wearing masks and everyone's like so anxious and depressed and there's like uncertainty, you can like taste it, right? There's just like fear and like separation. And then all this stuff started to invade our church too. And I'm like, this have this new position and I'm trying to navigate these hard questions about like church government and dissension and all of these things. How do we navigate this? Just darkness, right? Seems so hopeless. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what is going on in the world? You guys remember, you, all, you have your own, like, anecdote for, the, for 2020. So I would deal with this, and then I would come home, though, and then I would see this little family. <laughs> and I would see, like, Judah, he's just, like, one, like, not even one years old, and he's just, like, just beaming with, with life. <laughs> and, and Rachel was radiant. And like she was, she was pretty upset about the pandemic, but she was still radiant with light. And there was like this, this radiance, there's this light in the darkness. Yeah. And maybe you can relate to your own perspective. Maybe you, you have a relationship, you have a marriage. And in the midst of so much loneliness and isolation, you have a marriage. Maybe you have friendship. Maybe whatever the case may be, whether it's family, I just want to broaden it beyond family. But I just, there is a light in the darkness. Are we looking for it? Are we seeing it? <laughs> We can fixate on the darkness or we can look for the hope. This is the point. Light in the darkness is hope. Life can be extremely difficult sometimes. And I know many of you guys are going through hard things in your life right now. Going through grief, going through health issues, going through mental health issues, and the list goes on. But hope is a powerful thing, friends. Hope is a powerful thing. You know, I recently went back to therapy <laughs> and uh, I've been on a journey to find the right therapist and I've been on this journey for a few months now and I think I finally found a good therapist. And I have been sort of struck, I'm like staggered by the revelations I'm getting about my life and about the, the unresolved and unprocessed grief of my life. And I'm like confronting the grief 
like it's like never before. Um, and God is so gracious in it. <laughs> he's so gracious. He's like, it's like, it's like kind of coming out. This is a little graphic, but it's just coming out like, it's, no, I'm not going to go too graphic. I was, was going to say spew. All right, there it is. It's spewing out. But there's just like, we all, the thing is, if I'm dealing with it, y'all are dealing with it too. If I have unresolved grief, I'm sure you do too. No one's childhood in life is perfect. There is grief. And when things, and, and I, I can go on a whole like tangent about this, but I'm a really big fan of family systems theory. And so things that have happened to your family has happened to you in some degree or another. And so there is, there is a compound of grief that we are all experiencing. A lot of us live in denial. Like just harsh, radical, I'm not looking denial. And I'm just determined to look this stuff in the face. I just have to look it in the face. I want to see it, and I want to kick it a little bit, and then I want to leave it alone. But it might take a process. So there is, like, there is a compound of grief, but there is a hope. There is a hope. This is the point of Christmas. This is the point of these lights on, on these evergreens. There is a hope. And in this grief, as Christians, as, as the apostle says in his letter to Thessalonica, that we don't grieve like the rest of humanity have no hope, right? We have an unshakable hope that's found in God. He is working even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. God is working. Will we trust him? Will we put our hope in him? In Isaiah 49, verse 23, I love this passage. God speaking to you, to us. This is for us. Those who hope in me. doesn't say those who hope in circumstance. Those who hope in results and outcomes and, and these things. No, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Lord, let it be said for us in this family. You know, no matter how difficult the season might be, let us be a people of hope. It is the answer. Number two, we can give God our persistent pursuit. Our persistent pursuit. Verse 9, the wise men went their way. This is one of the most understated suitcase sentences in the New Testament. Maybe not. That's a little hyperbolic. But it's just like there's a lot in this. And the reason why is because of this. Bible scholars point to this little line here as being a two-year journey because it, it took probably a thousand miles or so to travel there and so horseback or or donkeys or camels took about two years and so these magi what we're learning is that we can give god also we can give god our what does it take to, to take that much time it takes time we can give god our time we can give God our energy, our persistent pursuit, two years of pursuing him. Before the wise men even got their opportunity to give God gifts, they gave God their pursuit. And they gave God their presence. I'm here, I'm, I'm walking towards you, Jesus. Their pursuit and their presence. These wise men, as mentioned, so they're traveling hundreds of miles. And I think one of the lessons that I'm learning from them is they didn't let the difficulty of the distance kind of dictate or stop them from moving towards Jesus. It's, it's, maybe you're here today and you just, you can relate to this feeling of distance. I'm sure there's people in here just like, I just, I am pretty numb. And I feel pretty distant right now. But my encouragement for you, even though you might feel like you are thousands of miles away, 
two years away or something like that. Don't let your feelings of distance dictate your direction. Don't let your feelings of distance dictate your direction. Move towards Jesus. Let's do it together. And trust me, when we do, he meets us. He comes running to meet us. You know, maybe just practically speaking, the Christmas season, this, this Christmas season can be an opportunity for us to pursue the Lord. Maybe we can spend time with him. It's just, you know, join me in just trying to resist the, the dopamine addiction that I have to reach for my phone and like just get on my knees and pray. Or just like resist the phone and open up a Bible, right? Let's just like get out of bed and go on our knees and pray. Like let's just do whatever we have to do to spend some time with him. And if, you, if you're new to that, just spend two minutes. Just spend two minutes. Like, okay, I'm putting a timer on. Two minutes, I'm spending time, undistracted time with the Lord. Let's give him our time. Let's pursue him. Let's also give him our energy. Let's, like, I just, you know, I, I like dream of you guys doing secret little assignments. I'm just going to bless the person behind me at the grocery store. I'm going to pay for the groceries. No one's going to see that except for that person and you, God, and that's worship to you. Like, whatever the case may be, let's just, let's just give God our pursuit and our worship and our prayer. Let's set out a plan to be intentional about that. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, God speaking again, this is for us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let us be a people who seek God with all of our heart. Amen. Verse 3, or not verse 3, point 3 here. Last one. We can give God our worship. We can give God our worship. Verse 11, they bowed down and worshiped him. Did you know that God is actually not after just like, just worship? He's not after just like generic worship detached from people. He's not after that. He's not, he doesn't need that necessarily. He's after a people who worship. He is after worshipers. In John chapter four, verse 23, says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, our worship is a response to what we value most. We talk about this from time to time, but I think it's so important to remember this principle. And so, and by response, I mean, like, what gets us? What gets you guys? What captures you? What gets your time? What gets your attention? What gets your moods? What gets your energy? What gets your affection? What gets your money? What gets your loyalty? Right? This is what we value most. So how do we do that? What, how do we do that in the, in the right way, in the biblical way? Well, Jesus answers this question in this very famous passage in Mark chapter 12. Verse 28 says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And so from this passage, what is Jesus saying? I want to break this down with a little graphic. Um, you know, I like graphics. And so you can pull that up. And so with all of your heart and all of your soul is sort of can be suitcased in your affection. Where does your love go? Where does your affection go? Where do you adore? 
And then all of your mind is all of your attention. It's all of your focus. It's all of your work, your attention. And there's a war for your attention right now, guys. It is, there's a whole economy based on it. That's, we know that there's a scheme of the unseen realm trying to steal our attention and deform us. Where is your mind? And there's also all of your strength, and this is, we can put that into our abilities. And that word in the Greek can be also mean resources. So it's our gifts, it's our talent, and it's our resources, it's our, our abilities and our, our money as well. So these are abilities. So what are you worshiping? Where, where are you going with these things? And you can kind of tell with these questions, like what do you love most? What do you think about most? What do you do most? I'm going to call Gabrielle. We're going to move to a close, but I got one more graphic for you. So if you kind of collide these in this Venn diagram, the intersection of these is, is pretty much what's God of your life. So you have your attention overlapping with your affection and your abilities. That is the throne of your heart. And so, what is enthroned in your heart? What is enthroned in my heart? I think too often, if I can confess and be with you, I'm at the throne of my heart. Just sitting there in the middle, right? Just like, I'm the focus. <laughs> maybe for you it's something else. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's something, I don't know. Um, but let us be a people that put God back in his rightful place. Let's dethrone ourselves. Let's enthrone Jesus. He's so gracious. He's so good. He doesn't force his way. I belong here. No, he is humble. And so he, he's in his kindness. He's wooing us. Lord, would you just take your rightful place into the center of our hearts, the throne of our hearts. God is calling us to be worshipers to be worshipers of the Father in spirit, in truth. I love how triune that is, right? The, the Greek for truth is logos, and that is the word. This is, a, this is a Father, Spirit, and Son passage. I love this. For they are the type of worshipers the Father seeks. Let us, let us be those people, amen. We are these people. Let's step into our destiny. And I think that's what makes this so special. I think this day so special, giving is worship, right? Serving is worship. Mission is worship. Loving people is worship. Everything in the in the paradigm of the kingdom is worship. That is who God is cultivating us to be. So let us step into our destiny, eh? Let's do this together. Let's do it wholeheartedly. And then sit back and see God move and see something happen. See an eruption of love take place. I'm burning for it. I'm aching for all the people driving by who don't know Jesus. Let's stop allowing this to just be, I don't want to be too harsh, but like, let's, let us be a people who are on fire for the mission of God. You're loving each other and gifting each other and gifting God. Let us be a people who are marked by worship, by generosity, and by love. Jesus is worthy, isn't he? He deserves it all. So to close, I would love for us to just, as usual, allow some of these things to like maybe make the journey from our head to our heart. And just spend a little bit of time in ministry here. And allow the Holy Spirit to 
have his way. So just posture yourself, take a deep breath in and posture yourself to receive from God, to be led by God in this place. And put your hands out, put your hand in your heart. Remind your body to participate with your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you speak? Speak to us right now. Lead us right now. Illuminate parts of this message, parts of this day, parts of our life that you want to be highlighted. We give you permission to lead us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to correct us, to purify us by your fire. that the God of hope would fill us with all peace and joy, that we'd be filled with hope in this place, that we'd be equipped. For those of us, I just sense there's some of us in this room that need to experience just a moment of repentance. And I've been, I've been doing some stuff I shouldn't do. I've been just thinking things I shouldn't be thinking. I've been in a funk. I've been away from you, God. I need to turn to you. And just, it doesn't have to be this huge thing. And just right now, would you just turn to God? You can admit I've just been a little bit off. That is turn. And then once you turn, you see the father running after you like the prodigal father. Running after you. So Lord, I thank you for the awakening in this room. I thank you for the hunger that I saw during worship. I thank you that this is a place that adores you. I love I love this 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 group of people. I love this company of this family. 
of burning hearts. I thank you that they're looking for the real thing and that they're authentic and that they're gracious. I thank you that they are filled with hope. I pray that they're awakened to the reality of your presence right inside them. The God of the universe is inside them. You're inside of us. Would you awaken us with your flame? Would you burn away all these things that are numbing us from seeing you? So we pray for an awakening over us. We pray for a repentance over us. We pray for a union, Lord. Let us have a fresh revelation of our closeness and marriage to you. These aren't just ideas in a book. This is reality pulsating through eternity. We are unified with you forever by what you've done on the cross, Jesus. And so we adore you. We thank you that you left the glory and came to a little manger and obscurity. Thank you for the humility in this example. And so we come humble too. We lower ourselves like a child. We lower ourselves and allow you to, to wean us like a, like a baby, God. Would you hold us and speak love and joy and hope?